My name is Tim, and I love Christmas carols. Honestly, I love all things Christmas. I've also been a church musician and worship leader for over 20 years. On this podcast, we're going to explore some of the most popular and beloved Christmas carols of all time. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Nope, not that. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Definitely not that. I mean, the carols many of us grew up singing in church or hearing on TV specials and movies. If you take some time and slow down and really dig into those carols, you'll find profound hope and peace. And in small pockets of quiet this holiday season, you can find comfort and joy. This is Comfort and Joy. All right, guys, today I'm super excited to kick off this podcast, our first podcast of this series, Comfort and Joy, with a dear friend of mine. We were co-worship leaders together at Midtown Baptist Church back in the day, and that translation of that is almost 20 years ago now, but uh, she and her family live in Moundville. It was, if you live there, you're supposed to pronounce it Moundville, uh, but it's Moundville, Alabama, which is right outside Tuscaloosa. Uh, she graduated from Howard Payne in 2001 with a Christian studies uh, major. Then later on, went to Asbury Seminary with for her Christian ministries uh, degree, her master's there. She married her husband, Mike, and she's been married to him for 10 years. They have two boys who, according to all reports I can see on social media, Sarah, are absolutely phenomenal, cool boys, uh, Grant and Ian. And she is, in addition to being a pastor's wife, um, she's also a kind of a freelance worship leader. She she helps where she leads and needs to. Um, but I am super excited to have Sarah Lynn. Thank you for joining me on this premiere episode of Comfort and Joy. I'm excited. Glad to be here. Yeah. And the reason I, I asked you to do first is because the hymn you picked, the Carolyn, and you know, the kind of the way we did this for all of my guests is I invited you all to pick your favorite Christmas carol um, and said, Hey, what, what song do you want to talk about? What song do you like? And so you chose an Advent Christmas carol, an Advent hymn um, to lead us off. And I thought, what, what better way to start than talking about um, kind of that longing for that desire for Christ to, to come and for, in our situation for Christ to return. And so just to give people an idea of if they don't know this hymn, maybe you've got people listening to this that aren't super familiar with Advent. Some people didn't grow up celebrating Advent. Um, and, you know, some some evangelical traditions don't. And, you know, that's okay. But we definitely want to make sure if you are familiar with this, Carol, let me just play a little bit of it for, for everybody to listen. This is going to be a very traditional choral setting um, by the Scottish Chamber Singers, I think is the the artist that I found that did this. So let me, let me play this for a minute and uh, give me a thumbs up, Sarah, if you can hear it. Okay.
Now that's if you if you were about to tune out because that's not your style of music, don't worry. We're going to play a few different versions of that song. Um, I just tried to find one that was very choral in nature, and maybe if you grew up with a, a church choir, that maybe is what you would have heard. That was the Scottish festival singer. Sorry, um, it, was so it was it was nice. I like it because I'm I'm pretty pretty broad in my musical taste. But there was a, an unknown poet who wrote these words: not only looking, but longing the blessed Lord's return to greet our crowns of glory to gather and cast them with joy at his feet. Not only waiting, but watching wistfully scanning the skies, anticipating that daybreak when the world's true sun shall arise. And I just feel like that's a great way to lead into this. So Sarah, um, you have kind of a background and you've studied it. You studied Asbury. So we want to talk about Charles Wesley for a minute as a, as a hymn writer, as a theologian. So um, kind of just lead us through that a little bit. Charles was uh, a very uh, imaginative and he was a machine, basically. I don't remember the, the number of hymns that the man wrote, but he, I mean, it's in the thousands. 6,500 uh, is what I found. 6,500. Oh. And I have actually a copy of, and it's not just him. It's his brother. It's his father. It's others. It's his mother. It's a, it's a whole family is really right. the whole machine. Um, they were like the Osmonds of him writing. Is it what they, really, said? <laughs> they really were. They were. <laughs> Phenomenal. And not only it wasn't just that, you know, they're writing choruses. I mean, um, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing has, oh, my gosh, I don't even remember 30 something, maybe I, I can't even remember the number of stanzas that they would wow. write. And they, they all follow one after the other in, in the storytelling and the theology and how the, the biblical history or the, the story of Jesus that they're trying to tell right. is just line after line after line. Well, and that's because he, correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he saw his hymns as a way of teaching theology, right? I mean, it was, Absolutely. it wasn't just filler. It wasn't just fluff. It was, no, this is where we get some meat too. This is, um, this is where you learn about God and you learn to worship and learn how to live your Christian life is through liturgy and through hymns. And John Wesley, and I'm sure Charles was right behind him, nodding his head, would say um, that that was one of the mandates for Methodists was to sing and to sing loudly. Right. Because you declare not only with your voice, but with your with your spirit as you sing, you're declaring these truths. And you are basically like the psalmist says um, to to sing out my soul, to, to declare my soul. You, you basically are teaching yourself. You're telling yourself these truths. That's so good. And that's so much yeah. how, I mean, we think about even as small children, we teach Jesus loves me, this I know, right? I mean, that's that's one of those foundational things we teach kids when they yeah. when they first accept Christ or if they're raised in church. That's one of the first songs I can remember learning as a child. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, again, I think I see Wesley, that was his whole motivation, not just for children, but for all ages. Because I mean, yes. if, you have, if you have 30 stanzas, I mean, that's a time commitment right there. You're not just singing, you know, it's not a three minute song. That's, that's it really, is. yeah. And the, the thing is um, they would write a lot of their, um, their liturgies or their songs. Um, they would write them for the churches to sing, but you know, a lot of their, their early Methodism, especially here in America was itineracy. Um, they had a lot of horseback preachers and so a lot of these songs were written just kind of in the wilderness and then talked right. to the church whenever they got there. Right. And so they didn't technically have 
um, an enormous book of hymns. And so the songs that they had were precious. They yeah. were they were few and far between, but they were precious to them. Well, and so you had yeah. to make sure that they were singing correct stuff. They were know? singing good stuff. And that's why they were written mostly by the pastors. I mean, they were written by the, by yeah. the teachers and that's absolutely important. The Where I have come that long expect to Jesus, it was first published in 1744. Uh, in a hymn book called The Nativity of Our Lord, or Hymns for the Nativity of Our Lord, right? Is that what you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you were talking about his horseback travels, I found one um, source, uh, a devotional book written by Kenneth Osbeck that actually had excerpts from, from Wesley's journal during a period in March when the, the wind and the rain were just horrendous. Three-day period where he was trying to get to, I think Gath was the name of the town. I, I don't know, I'm not up on my English geography. <laughs> But, but it was just, it was what you were talking about. It was, it was that everything was on horseback. And so yeah. when the weather was horrendous, they still had to get to where they were trying to go. And it was cold and it was wet and he was exhausted and he got a few hours of sleep. So this idea of longing for something better, I'm sure came very personal to him, not just from a spiritual standpoint, but from a literal physical standpoint as well. Right. Right. That's, um, that's the whole context of this song is, is longing and and not just like a wishful longing but yeah talk a, about that with that what, what we talked about this a little bit on the phone a few weeks back so what do you mean when you when you say longing talk about what that that means in your heart well so okay we're, we're talking about advent the, that's the whole point of the season is longing i mean you you um there's two kinds of, or two two reasons that Advent exists. Advent is the um, the longing that we we kind of place ourselves back in time of whenever the the world was longing for a savior. And you know, you you can go back to Luke and read all of the the stories of like the Magnificat of Mary just mm, uh, being so. Yeah. yeah, exuberant that we have longed for so long for, for the Messiah and he's finally coming. And so we place ourselves back in that history. But then also, like you were kind of alluding to, that Advent is longing for the second coming. Yes. This is so Christmas is not just about remembering the birth of Jesus. Christmas is is really Advent is longing for the second coming and Christmas is celebrating that moment when heaven and earth will be restored completely and rebirth in all ways will happen. Yes. And so this hymn really is, it's just because for one, it's three, four, you know, the, the time signature is three, four, which is already a longing, waltzy, heart rendering kind of. It feels, it feels um, not complete. Right. I mean, three, four always has an uneven balance to me is it's, and yeah, that's, it, that's on purpose. It makes you dance. It makes you move. It makes you lean in. Yes. And, um, and the same with the melody line, it just, it makes you kind of move with it and just long with it. It, it has, I don't know, some kind of hopeful quality to it. Well, and, then, and the, the tune itself, Heiferdahl was the name of it was written by a Welshman named Roland Pritchard and talking of longing, it took almost a hundred years for the, for the text of Wesley to meet the tune of Pritchard. Right. And so there was right. a longing there of like, you know, we, we have, we just, we just take it, we take advantage of that fact that this is the hymn, this is the song, but there was a period of time when 
this hymn wasn't as popular yet, and the melody hadn't met yet. And we, we, this is, we see this a lot with hymns, that That's the right. text is written separately from the from the melody. And very rarely does that happen where they're they're very quickly married together. That's and right. so, yeah, I think there's you can even see that in the birth of this Christmas carol, this Advent carol, right. that, that there was a, a longing. There was a period there when it wasn't complete. It wasn't as we know it now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, the... Um... The text, I, I would be curious to hear how they sang this, if they sang it at all, or if they just kind of chanted it or did mm-hmm. Taizé or something, who knows? <laughs> but I, I would be curious to hear how they taught the early church this. Yeah. Um, Wouldn't it be something to hear t- that? Yeah. Because we know it's in a hymn book. So, yeah, what did they do with it for those you know, 86 yeah. years of, of yeah. waiting between... What we know there were other tunes they might have used with it. I know I found one by um Ralph Vaughn Williams. I'm not sure if that was before or after the high yeah, fidel, but um maybe some music historians listening can correct me on that if I'm not sure which one it came before or after. You but go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 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 not too proud to be corrected that way. Um <laughs> so so yeah, I think that's absolutely the the the, the idea of, of just knowing that this song was incorporated into worship. And one thing I did find that was interesting about it is that it, it caught on a lot of popularity when Charles Spurgeon used it in one of his Christmas sermons. I didn't know if you knew that. Or not. I found that information. I, I was like, know. "Whoa, okay. So, you know, Chuck Spurgeon's out there throwing that, alluding to that Christmas carol, talking about Christ being born a king, yet never having to be a prince first was, was kind of one of his things that he talked about. So it was very interesting uh-huh. to find that. I'll put that connection in the show notes that I found and, and uh, people can go dig in deeper if they want to on that. Factor. Yeah. Yeah. That really is um, that really is a, a beautiful concept because the whole the whole first verse of it, um, it his birth um, really kind of you know him being born a king kind of set into motion the whole kingdom coming on earth now, right. and so it's not like they were longing for a kingdom they they knew that it was it was here. And that's what Jesus proclaimed and John the Baptist proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand. hand, Right. Yes, exactly. He was born to set the people free, born to reign in us forever. His birth meant so much more than, than just a regular child being born, you know, or just a regular King. Right. Cause the King will, will come and a King will go. And this is, this is an eternal forever kingdom. Now, obviously look differently than the people of, of the, the 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 Jewish people expected it to look um, because he was it was a kingdom it was a, kind of an upside down kingdom if you would with Christ, um, right. but it was still the kingdom and it was at, on earth as it was in heaven. Do you have the lyrics there in front of you? Do you I do. The, would you be, would you grace us by reading through those lyrics and letting us just enjoy the poeticness of them? I would. They Go are some it. of my favorites. Come, thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Mm. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. And by thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. You know, what stands out to me is some of the way he, the paradoxical way he wrote some of that. 
you know, a child yet a king born to reign yeah. in us, right? I mean, just yeah. some paradoxes there that if you just were looking at it, you'd go, that makes no sense. Yeah. But it but it absolutely makes beautiful sense when you understand the story of the gospel, when you when you when you unpack that. And you're right that that Jesus uh the the Israelites expected something entirely different. And this this hymn right here kind of sets everything on its head yeah. that Jesus was not. Um, he was not at all what they expected, and he was not going to bring the peace that they expected. They wanted freedom. He's bringing peace. He's bringing restoration. He's bringing consolation and strength right. and hope. And the thing is, I love the line, the the um, the last phrase of the first verse. It says, dear desire of every nation and joy of every longing heart, it, it, it reminds me of um, Philippians where every knee will bow and yes. every tongue will confess. Yes. Everyone is brought to salvation. Jesus does not stop at just the Jewish nation. Right. I mean, his covenant is with them, but praise the Lord, we're engrafted into this. That's right. Spirit of adoption and, right there. Yeah. And so he is not just the fulfillment of their desires, but also of ours that that we get to be incorporated into this story as well. Yes. That's so, it's so good. So we've really kind of unpacked a little bit of the story behind it, a little bit of, you know, Charles Wesley, although we could, you could probably find a lot more on Charles Wesley. There were, you probably had classes just on the Wesleys. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. And, I have a, a book about five inches thick that oh has gosh. just, just his hymns and some of the stories behind it. And it's pretty cool. I need that book. I need you have to it, tell me after we're done what, where that, what that book is. And, and I'll, I'll put it in our show notes too, because okay. I did, I honestly, of all the, of all the hymns so far that I've researched this one, I, I could find the least on, I had to go to Wikipedia for some of my stuff. And I hate that. Cause I'm like, Oh, anybody can yeah. edit Wikipedia. I want somebody yeah. published and proved. And so, you know, it was, it was difficult a little bit to find some information on this carol. It's, like I went into one of my books, it has, it's, it's this thick, but the, there were like literally three lines about come that long, expect to Jesus. And I was like, that, that's not helpful. No, I mean, this guy was like the Tomlin or the Matt Redmond of his time. I mean, he just, he just cranked out song after song. And the thing was, is he, um, because his life was so steeped in liturgy mm. and steeped in um, sacraments and steeped in um, constant, like, I mean, they say that John Wesley, I'm sure Charles did too, would take communion just personally every Wednesday. I mean, he, or he wow. fasted every, I mean, he, they just did disciplines on the daily, on the weekly. And so he was steeped in all of this. So there was no crisis of faith or there was no, you know, great moment like, um, like it is well, where he lost all his family. Right. This just came out of just what he had been learning, you know, all of his life. It just, this is what he knew. And therefore he put it on paper. And he dis it was, it was a discipline for the sake of following Christ, not for any other reason. I mean, there's, that's right. I always second guess my own my own motives when I'm trying to commit to a discipline because there's a part of me that wants recognition for it socially. Like, you know, you have the social media yeah. aspect. And you're like, hey, look at me. I'm reading a Bible verse. Or I'm, you know, there's there's that there there wasn't that in, no. in this in this time. There was thank the Lord there was no social media. We'd probably be better off without it now. Yes, we would. But but the, but, uh, the cool thing, he um, because his father was a pastor and a songwriter. Mm -hmm. I mean, he knew the the necessity of of um, writing music for the church. Yeah, he knew that the church desperately needed this, and so well, I mean, the seventh, it was, yeah, 
it was his duty, you know. 1700s, we're only, we're only talking about 200 years removed from the Protestant Reformation. And so the idea of music being in the hands of the people was still, I'd say, in, in, in perspective, new. You know, right. we're only talking a couple hundred years that people have been able to sing in their right. languages and, and sing theology, right? So that's right. I think that's, there's a historical element that especially if his dad was leading that example, that, that's important to remember too. Yes, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, when you sing this song, and we've, we've touched on this, but let's be real specific now. When you sing this song, when it comes up at Advent, what do you, what do you, what do you take away from it? What themes do you personally take away and try to live out in, in especially that time, this time of year? Um, I, so there was, and you probably know this full well since you went to seminary, but there was a lot. And I mean a lot that I learned at seminary that I should have learned in my church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was quite upset about that, that there was a lot of, I mean, I'd say simple theology, but stuff that I, I had never heard of in my right. life growing up in church. And the concept of uh, longing for the second coming, I mean, even in the Methodist church, there's there's very bad, or, or I won't say bad, but just... Um, not fulfilled, not not um, teased out theologies of the second coming of Christ. Everybody has their own opinion, and we really don't talk about it. It's huh. it's kind of uh, testy, and so we just don't chat about it. But learning um, the concept of Advent being um, the longing of the second coming, and you know, the early church did their baptisms during during the Advent season. Um, not necessarily, well, and at Easter too, they would do it at Easter, but they would do it at these two seasons because they knew the the theological or the 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 significance of being being welcomed into the church, being a part of the church and and looking forward to the coming of Christ to redeem his bride um, during Advent, they would, they would have this big, you know, huge, long catechism, and then you would be baptized into the church. And it was just one big longing for the restoration of the, of of heaven and earth. And it's just, I don't know, this song just really is one of pure hope. Yes. Yes. And I, I love, I mean, I, I think more, and that was really good. That was really good. I love, I love the fact that you, you kind of touched on some things that I think are, are, if you grew up in church, anybody in church, I don't care how great your church was, your church had holes in how it, how it developed people, how it developed Christ followers. And, and, you know, some of those holes are more glaring. Some of those holes are more subtle. And, and, you know, I, I'm not here to badmouth the church because the church is the bride of Christ and we're all doing the best we can as fallen humans. But I think when you find those holes there's those aha moments that you go, wow, wow, yeah. that's that's absolutely beautiful. And, and I felt that yeah. way with Advent. I I was raised in a liturgical church. It was a Bible church um, based in Dallas, and it was a very kind of high church approach to things. And but then we left that church and went to a different, a different denomination for a while. And and really Advent was never really focused on. And and it wasn't until I served in a church in North Carolina. Uh, in the mid uh, mid early two thousands, where they did Advent, and it was just a part of their 
and, and to be honest, it was a Baptist church, which is not very frequent um, that Baptist churches celebrate Advent. And if you go to a Baptist church and you're listening to this and y'all celebrate Advent, you absolutely can call me out on it. That's fine. Uh, but I'm just saying that as a, as a rule, it's not something that many Baptist churches um, typically follow. I think more are getting there. There's been some great articles written in the last five, 10 years about uh, more of the Southern Baptist churches leaning into Advent. And if there was ever a year, Sarah, that we needed to stop and and long for the hope that yeah. is Christ's return and the, the redemption of man. Oh, it's 2020. I mean, yeah. there's just a bunch. And and I I feel like a broken record as as I've recorded a few other episodes, we've talked about the same things, but you know, pandemic and social, social injustice and and just discord and just strife in, in the election and just so many things that remind us of what a broken people we truly are, both yeah. physically and culturally. And and I I have found myself wanting more to focus on Advent and the Lord's second return um, than ever before. I think just yeah. with, with all the hurt. And and so, yeah. You wanted me to plug this in and I think it's a really good place to do it. So this, this whole pandemic we were talking about before you pushed record that the, the pandemic really COVID really has just stripped us um, as a church, as a community and individually really has kind of, um, shoved us backwards and and made us sit down and really reevaluate a lot of things in life, yes. and um, and really has kind of made us quiet, has made us silent, has yeah. really shut us up, and the whole thing about um, Advent is is really having a quiet spirit and and just kind of like Mary, you ponder things in your heart. You just, mm. you long Ooh, from good. your heart. Yeah, yeah. And the, the one of the cool things, what I was going to say earlier is, um, so when we were at Asbury during the, one of the years, I don't remember, of the Advent season, um, we had our, one of the, the worship leaders on the chapel team had this brilliant idea, <laughs> which was really awkward, but still it was great to, to be silent in worship for 400 seconds, which represented the 400-ish years between um, basically the last time that God spoke through his prophets to his people, Israel, and the coming of Christ. So between those two times, there was you know, we don't know how many exactly, but 400-ish years. And so the worship leader in chapel decided, hey, let's take, it's going to be awkward, but let's take 400 seconds, which is what we calculated a little over six and a half minutes. And that that was harder than it should have been, us figuring out how many minutes that was. (laughs) That was way... That was way harder than it should have been. Let's just be We're honest. We're musicians, <laughs> <That's right>. not mathematicians. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but we were sitting there with our calculators, going, "Wait a minute, hold on." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was we. It was about six and a half minutes, is what we came yeah, to. Yeah, six and a half minutes in worship, and you know what? Thirty seconds in worship, silent. Thirty seconds in worship. You can't. You can't do thirty seconds in of silence in worship without hearing somebody cough or clear their throat or move or shift or whisper or something. As a worship leader, that makes me anxious. The idea it of is so uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. that's that's absolutely the point, right? That's why he did it. Was was kind it, of that that yeah. That is perfectly the point. So six and a half minutes of nobody speaks. We are going to sit in silence. But the cool thing about it is, um, you know it. 
he would read certain certain scriptures or whatever, and he would just kind of prepare our hearts. But, you know, all those scriptures, like, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Be still and know that I'm God. I wait upon the Lord. My soul waits upon the Lord. I'm going to shut myself up right. and be quiet. And sometimes it really does take six and a half minutes for my mind to shut up. I mean, after all the reeling and after all of the, the crazy junk that goes on in my brain, I do need sometimes that long. Yes. But to do that corporately for the church to be quiet, I think you're right. 2020 is the year to take 400 seconds and just be quiet and have a personal advent. <laughs> and I think that, that's a really good idea. And I honestly would challenge each listener to, to take your time and do that. Um, do it before you go to bed at night, shut everything off. I think, you know, we can, we can get a little bit nosy here with, with people's lives and I'll use myself so that I'm not throwing anybody else under the bus, but I have a hard time being still being silent, period. I have a hard time with silence in general if yeah. I go for a run, I have a podcast or music playing. If I'm yeah. sleeping, I have the radio on or the noise machine on or something. Right. Silence. Why do you think silence is so hard? We're gonna we're gonna go really deep into like psych, Christian psychology <laughs> for just a minute. Why do you think silence is so hard for us? Hmm. And no, we didn't we didn't discuss this question. I'm literally throwing a curveball at you. You are in the recordings. You know what? I I really do think that that um, God really does speak in the silence. And just like John says, we love the darkness more than we love the light. We really don't, we have to train ourselves to be quiet. We have to train ourselves to love Jesus. And, and we really prefer the noise because it blocks out the one voice that we really do need to hear. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just like we say that um, social media and computers and iPhones and all that is an addiction. I really do think that noise is an addiction. Oh, absolutely. I, I really think that we have trained ourselves as a society to just be noisy. And the louder you are, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I mean, you just, the noisier you are, yeah. the better you feel technically, but you really don't, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for sharing what's in your heart, you know, not keeping that to yourself, but at the same time, if you're never quiet, if you uh -huh. never take time to just shh, then you're missing, you miss out so much. The few times I have gone running with my iPod, like maybe my headphones die or whatever. Um, I don't like that because personally, I don't like to hear myself panting like I'm going to die. But when I get past, <laughs> when I get past that arrogance, that ego part, I hear the wind blowing and I hear yeah. the birds singing and I hear, you know, if I'm around a lake, I hear the water and it's just, there's so many more things that you're aware of that are natural, that aren't artificial. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of quiet that, that to many of us and me included is deafening because you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's quiet is scary. Quiet is revealing. Quiet is that's right. exposing. That's right. Yeah. And I think that um, leaving myself to my own thoughts um, it's weird to say, but it bears a lot of responsibility mm. because if I'm left to my own thoughts, therefore I am, I am considering things and I'm pondering things. I'm planning things. I'm, there's a lot of responsibility in your own thoughts yeah. and in being quiet. If, if you have noise going on in your mind and in, you know, around you, then you're not responsible for, uh, your own thoughts. But when you're yeah. quiet, you are. Yeah. That's good. 
That's so good. And I, you know, we were talking about the 400 seconds being, you know, six and a half minutes. If, if you do the math at like 20 to 30 years uh, for, for a generation, that's 14 generations. That's a long time. I mean, that's, yeah. how hard was it to hope in a Messiah yeah. after that many generations? I mean, but you know what? We're doing the same thing. Yes. Jesus, Jesus left the earth much longer ago than that. Yeah. And we have been waiting and waiting and waiting and honestly have lost a lot of hope. I, we I, have I, lost. Yeah. The, the church, really, I mean, it's not just the world. The church has forgotten and lost her hope. And we have we have to sing it. We have to sing our hope. Yeah. Come on, preach, if preach. <laughs> if there is anything that's going to teach your spirit to hope, it's song. Yeah. And if you're gonna if you're gonna sing, then sing something that is true. And I can't think of anything better than a good old hymn by Charles Wesley. <laughs> Born to raise in us forever. I mean, just I, yeah. I, I think that is so good. So good. Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking of Luke 2. Um Jesus says there will be signs in the sun, the moon, stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish. That sounds familiar. And perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At the time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. That's right. And, you know, Maranatha. Come yes. On, come on. Come on. Come yeah. on you right. say it in Greek and I'll just say it in good old Southern. Come on. <laughs> come on. That's perfect. I and I think it. that is absolutely where this, where this hymn lands us is just looking up for hope and, yeah. and bringing others along with us in that hope. Yeah. That's the whole purpose of this podcast. When I was praying over this, Beside being a Christmas junkie, which everybody who knows me knows that I'm a Christmas junkie and that's fine, but this has to be more, this, this, this podcast and today being the, the, the inaugural episode, this podcast is not about Christmas lights. It's not about presents. It's not about nostalgia. Those things are cool and they're great. And, um, you'll hear a podcast interview later that talks about one of the draws of Christmas music and it's good, but this, at the end of the day, if you walk away from this podcast without any renewed hope, then I've missed my mark. Because we want to remind folks as they listen that the hope of Christ is found at the beginning in, in, in the story of Christmas. We know it's, it's, it's culmination comes at Easter. You know, that's when we going back to what you said at the beginning, that Easter is your favorite time of year and Christmas okay. is your second time of year, favorite time of year. And I think that's fair um, because without, without Easter or without Christmas, you wouldn't have Easter. So you got to start there. Yeah. But that's the kind of hope I want to I want to encourage people in, and not not that things are always going to be okay. I mean, let's 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 just for a minute. Your life, my life, they might not all work out the way we want them to. There will be parts of our life that we're sad about that we grieve over, whether it's you know a death or an illness or you know just loss of some kind. There's parts of our life that didn't go the way we wanted, but that's not the hope that we're talking about. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I think that's where we have to land when we're talking about the, the hope of Christmas, the comfort and joy that we find in, in the Christmas season. Yeah. So, well, let's talk for just a minute. Do you have anything else you want to add before we jump into kind of our versions of, of the carols that we both picked to talk about for a minute? No, I think we have hashed out all the hope we can get. That's, that's a lot of, we, we, we have squeezed every iota of hope we can from, from Mr. Wesley's hymn. That's uh, right. There's but, probably more, I'm sure, but. Uh, go. I'm just gonna tell everybody: go sit in silence for 400 seconds, and then go sing this hymn. That'll be great. You know, that's you your, that's everybody's homework today. 
So we were talking about versions of this song and there's a, a plethora of versions of this song out there. Uh, there's a gazillion versions and they're all different in their own light and um, they have their own way of, of approaching it. But you picked one that was off of Tomlin's first Christmas album called Glory in the Highest, right? Yeah. But it's led by your girl. See, that's that's why you picked it, right? It really is. And it's not just because it's her. I mean, she's she is really my favorite worship leader, Christy Knuckles. But yeah. um, it it's because it's a cappella. Yes. And it is sung. Um, I can just imagine that they have already worshipped for a couple of hours and they have sung their little hearts out and now they're being quiet. Now they're yeah. now they're gonna sing about hope. Let's it's, listen to a little bit of this version. Come thou long expected Jesus by Chris Tomlin and Christy Knuckles and friends. You. And uh, so this here we go. Those harmonies. Mm. to keep playing as we talk for just a minute um one thing i notice about that version that i absolutely adore is they're not in a hurry yeah it is just it's i mean the first version we heard was very high church and there was a meter to it and it was very you know intentional in the certain tempo yeah but this version just seems to be like let's just let's just hang out let's just sit here and sing yeah. to jesus and just yeah. kind of soak in it I love high church. I love the organ. I love choirs. I mean, it's so grand, but to, but to sit in a body of believers who are of like mind, uh, who are singing the same, who are singing from the heart, the same, um, the same prayer. I mean, like, this is not just singing. They're praying. Oh yeah. This, oh, this is this a prayer. Is prayer. I mean, they are just she I says, rule in all them. our hearts today. I mean, that's a prayer. Yeah. I can see some of them on their face. I can see some of them with their hands just spread high and yep. come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, I think that is so powerful. And you you just touched on something. We, you and I, we, we co-led together at Midtown. We have a little bit different theological backgrounds, but when it comes down to it, we can both cry out to the same Jesus Come, yeah. Jesus, and I, that is such a strong reminder that I don't care which side people vote on. I don't care what if we can all hope and long for Christ's return. That's where the unity is found. That's yes. where we are one, as Christ and the Father were one. Yeah. If Jesus is our goal, come then, on. Yeah, then that's, we have made it. That's it's right. not. It's not heaven. It's not our reward. It is Jesus Himself that is our goal and our yeah. prize. 
Yeah. yeah. Such a wonderful version. I'm so glad you picked that one because that's going to be more of a, of a, of a version of personal meditation and, and, and just reflection for me. Yeah. So I, I hadn't listened to that version in a long time. I, this is the version I picked. Now, this one is Meredith Andrews, and she's another female worship leader up in, I don't know, the Midwest somewhere. I might be wrong. She might be in Tennessee now. But this is a version our church actually did last year. And what drew my attention to this one, and and in hindsight now, it may be considered a little bit sacrilegious that somebody added to Wesley's hymn uh, because she adds her own kind of bridge to it. Yeah. But when I listen to this bridge, and I'll, I'll pull it up in a minute, but because we won't listen through that the full song, but the bridge uh, of this version was just beautifully written. It almost feels like it's one of those that where the it adds to it in my mind. It doesn't necessarily dis- distract or detract from the original. Um, so let me let's play this and listen to a little bit of it, and we'll, I, we'll... I think Wesley would be okay with it. You think so? Well, I feel good. <laughs> I feel good about that. You don't you don't want to offend the man. I mean, 60, no. 6,500 hymns. He's, no. He knows what he's doing. So here's a little bit of this one. Same key, actually. So there's some consistency there. Well, I think it's D. Female singer. That's that's true story. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Come, thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest. Different time signature. Yeah. Quite. It's a very 4 4. Yeah. Syncopated. It has, a, this one has a sense of, of anticipation. It's a little more excited. Yes. It's almost like, come on, come on, come, Lord. Yeah. No, it's, it's not pensive. It's not quiet, which we need that. We already discussed that. But I think what grabbed this one for me was that idea of excitement. He is yeah. coming, you know? Yeah. Good. I mean, I like the orchestration of it. I do like what it does. So here's the bridge. And I love what she does here. And if you can't hear the lyrics, I'll read them back to you. But here's how it, here we go. You draw the hearts of shepherds. You draw the hearts of kings. I just love, I mean, I don't know if you could hear all those lyrics, but weren't they great? I mean, the first half of the bridge, she's talking about the first advent and the second half, she turns it and talks about the second advent. Yeah. Until the skies, I'm going to get choked up, man. Until the skies open, until the trumpet sounds, your bride is getting ready. The church is singing out. Oh, I just, I think that is such a longing that is so powerful. Yeah, isn't it? And and really, um, what a gosh, what a challenge! What a huge challenge for us because we cannot slumber nor sleep. No, we can't. 
We cannot drag our feet. We, we just can't. We have to stand up and long and proclaim and, and work for the kingdom that yeah. is already here, that he yeah. has already initiated. Goodness oh. gracious. I didn't, I, that's Ooh. a good bridge. Man, I'm telling you that, that I'm t- that's what got me into it. I was like, up until that point, it was a good arrangement, but I read, heard that and I was like, yeah, okay, we're singing that at church. It's so got good. a little bit uh, Mark Lowry on us about Mary. Did you know about you to talk about the baby? And he's yeah. Already- what is your favorite Christmas traditions? Oh, goodness. Okay, so growing up um, as a little girl or as a young girl, favorite Christmas traditions, of course, always includes a grandmother. So always. we would always go to my Mima's on uh, Christmas Eve. And Christmas Eve is my dad's birthday. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so that was a big deal. So it was not only um, Christmas to us, but it was a birthday party as well. And so we we would celebrate. But of course, we were South Texas, so we always had tamales and chili and <laughs> beans and all of that. And I, I really can't have Christmas without having chili and tamales. Um, and also, pum- not pumpkin not pumpkin pecan pie wow that was very adamant about pumpkin yeah well it's pecan all the way it's pecan okay well i I can tell you're from texas too because you say pecan you say it right i do you don't say pecan or whatever no sir all the messed up ways people will say yeah good pecan (laughs) that's right and of course um you know a more churchy answer is the is the lighting of the candles at christmas eve and singing silent night yep. and just even even there without knowing it i think my heart was longing as well yeah. you know without having having put theological words to it i think my heart was longing for jesus there so well, I am absolutely encouraged and blessed by this conversation, sir. It has been so awesome to get to talk with you about, about this song and to really, um, we're recording this in late October, but I'm already feeling that excitement towards towards the celebration of the second coming of Jesus. Me too. All right. Well, I'm going to go put up my Christmas tree. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not surprised if you That's, would. <laughs> well, give it, give it a couple of weeks. It'll be up about the same time this first podcast drops, but not oh today. Oh my goodness. Oh man. Well, thank you so much for being on. And, um, I appreciate just the time you spent with us today and, um, your expertise and your passion for worship and your passion for, um, the Wesleyan tradition, understanding Charles Wesley. And it's been so amazing to get to talk with you about this. So thank you. You're so welcome. This has been a wonderful joy to be here and to talk about it. Comfort and Joy was recorded at Torn Curtain Studios in Plano, Texas. It was produced by me, Tim Groves, and Meadows Baptist Church. For more information and links to sources for today's show, please see our show notes. The theme music for Comfort and Joy was written and arranged by Dennis Lambert. For more info or to support him and his craft, you can do so on his Patreon account, and you can find that link on our show notes. Finally, Remember to check out meadowsbaptist.org and join us for our weekly live stream services, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Stay safe, stay hopeful, and remember, there is comfort and joy this holiday season, no matter what season you're in. Mm -hmm.